Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here tonight at Rolling Hills for our Good Friday gathering. Um, you know, it's one of those type of gatherings that, you know, we come in with a sense of heaviness that is appropriate because we know that in order for us to look forward to the excitement and the glory of Resurrection Sunday, that that came at a cost. And that cost was the cross behind me. The cross where the Savior of the world came and hung and died for the sins of the world. Sins that everyone in this room is guilty of. And on that evening, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave it all on the cross. And so we have to pause and not be afraid of the discomfort and the emotions and the feelings of remembrance. Because if we don't do that, that we miss out on the maximum joy and the, and the, the miracle of Christ, not just conquering death, but having victory over our sin. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Timothy said this, that this is a trustworthy saying that demands our full acceptance. And that is that Christ Jesus came into this world to die for sinners. He also said to his disciples, and it was recorded in the Gospel of John, that there is no greater love than this, that one would lie down, that one would lay down his life for the life of his friends. So that's what we're gonna do tonight. There's remembrance of that love that none of us could ever attempt and what only Jesus could do. And so tonight's gonna look different than maybe what we're accustomed to on a Sunday morning or maybe any previous past Good Friday gatherings that we've done here at Rolling Hills, where we wanna kinda have a rhythm uh, this evening between a response of worship, both in personal reflection as well as corporate singing as we just did. Rick Tillman is here tonight to share portions of scripture uh, to help us to engage with the narrative of these last hours of Jesus' life and so what led up to his death on the cross. And then tonight, I'm gonna be sharing different passages of scripture and then uh, intertwining in some historical liturgies and some, some scripture that requires a, a call and response from you as well. And so we're gonna be doing that this evening. So I just kinda wanted to set the table of what we can be expecting. And as we go through these rhythms a handful of times, it's gonna culminate in a time of communion where we get to remember as a faith family the gift of grace and mercy and the cost that Jesus laid for us. So as we begin this evening, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, tonight we remember the cross. Holy Spirit, we, we try to grasp our minds around the events, the emotions of the disciples and the followers of seeing their, their Savior that they have committed years of their lives to following, seemingly being taken from them. The feelings of Jesus crying out to you if there is any other way to accomplish your mission, but yet 
I will remain obedient to the call. And then for you, our Heavenly Father, to give your one and only Son for all of humanity. Not because we ask, but because you love us unconditionally. So it is in that spirit that tonight we come as we read your word, we sing songs about you, to you. We break bread and we remember the cost and celebrate the new covenant of the blood of the juice at the table of communion. Would you open our hearts and our minds to what it is you want us to experience and hear from you tonight in this building? We pray this in your name, amen. Jesus and his disciples had just finished the Passover meal. Unbeknownst to his disciples, it would be the last Passover they would ever celebrate with him this side of heaven. After the meal, they left with him, they sang some hymns together, and then they went out over the valley of the Kidron, northeast of the city to where there was a garden, Gethsemane, a place that they had been many times before. But this time Jesus was different. He was serious, he was somber. He told his disciples that his soul was overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He asked them to stay awake and pray. And then moving away from them just a little further, when he got to be alone, he fell to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He returned to his disciples. They were asleep. He woke them. Can you not stay awake even an hour? Watch and pray. Pray that you do not fall into temptation. Two more times he went away to pray and fell on the ground praying the same prayer, but each time he finished in total submission to the will of the Father. Jesus no doubt knew of the physical pain and suffering that lay ahead of him, but it was the spiritual suffering. It was the fact that he who knew no sin was to become sin as he took on the sins of the entire world on himself and his father, the father that he had had intimate fellowship with for all eternity would have to separate from him. And that was agony that his physical mind and body could not bear. Sweat like drops of blood fell from his face into the ground, and the father sent an angel to strengthen him. He returned to his disciples once again. They were asleep. This time calm, he woke them. The hour is now. The silence of the garden was broken by torches and the voices of temple police and armed Roman soldiers. They surrounded Jesus and his disciples, and from among them stepped a familiar figure, Judas Iscariot, 
one of the original 12 disciples who had conspired now against him. He approached Jesus, calling him rabbi, and kissed him on the cheek. By this, he identified Jesus and betrayed the Son of God. Soldiers moved toward Jesus, and the panic went everywhere. The disciples went into a full rage. Peter pulled a sword and swung wildly, cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And then Jesus stopped the violence immediately, telling his disciples, do you not think that I can't call upon my father who would immediately send me 50,000 angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? It must all happen this way, that the scriptures of the prophets are all fulfilled. He bent down next to the servant of the high priest. He gently touched the side of his face and his ear was completely restored. He was healed. Soldiers moved to seize him. They bound him and they led him away as his disciples, now terrified, scattered and fled into the night. Some of the earliest liturgy prayers and religious um, sayings that congregations would say in the early church were developed around Good Friday. And generations later, it's from these ancient texts that the practice of the Stations of the Cross were developed, and maybe some of you have gone through the Stations of the Cross before. One of those is a meditation called the Meditation of the Cross. And when they would perform this liturgical prayer, it was a call and response from the clergy to the congregation, and they would bring before the congregation a wooden cross, much like the one we have behind us. And the congregants would sit there and they would meditate upon the cross as they would respond back and forth with the members of the clergy. And so we're going to do that tonight. And so if you would stand with me, we're going to have the text on the screen. I'm going to read a slide and then where it says, all we will respond together in unison. My people, what wrong have I done to you? How have I offended you? Answer me. Through baptism, I led you from slavery to freedom, but you led your Savior to the cross. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I led you through the wilderness. I fed you with the bread of life, the manna from heaven, but you led your Savior to the cross. I planted you as my, fairest, as my fairest vineyard. I grafted you into the one true vine. I gave you the water of salvation, but you gave me the gall and vinegar to drink and leave me thirsting upon a cross. I planted you as my fairest vineyard. We just read that one. I gave you a royal scepter, but you gave me a crown of thorns. I raised you up to the newness of life, but you raised me high upon a cross. Holy 
Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. What more could I have done for you? I gave you my peace and my truth, but you fight in my name and divide my church. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. I come in your brother and sister, hungry, yet you gave me no food. Thirsty, yet you give me no drink. A stranger, and you do not welcome me. Naked, and you do not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you do not visit me. Holy God, holy and merciful, holy and just, have mercy upon us. You may be seated. The worship team is now gonna lead us in a song that is meant for us to just sit in that contemplative space and to reflect upon the words as it's sung out over us during this time.
Jesus was led away to appear before a series of illegal trials and examinations. By Jewish law, trials, especially those of a capital nature, could only take place during the day and in the temple. Jesus was ushered quickly under the cover of night to the home of Annas, the former high priest, and questioned there. Then he was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the current high priest, for further examinations and questioning. They gathered a bunch of Sanhedrin uh, together. They brought in some false witnesses to testify against him. Jesus stood silent and watched as they mainly contradicted one another and fumbled through their accusations. Finally, frustrated, Caiaphas asked him, tell us plainly are you the Christ, the Son of God? To which Jesus answered, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds. Upon hearing this, they were furious. Caiaphas ripped his robe. The others screamed, this is blasphemy. And they demanded his death. You will be sentenced to death for this. The problem was, under Jewish law, the, Jewish, or the Roman law, the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to carry out the punishment for a capital crime. They would have to take him to the Roman governor, Pilate. When they did, Pilate questioned him several times by himself and came to the conclusion that there was no crime committed that was worthy of the death penalty. But the crowds wouldn't hear of it. They screamed and demanded his death. Pilate, in hopes to try to appease them, devised a way where maybe he could get out of this. He offered to release a prisoner to them, it being the Sabbath and all, so he would give them either Barabbas, a known murderer, or Jesus, and to his shock, 
The crowd cried, give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. They seemed ready to riot. And this is something Pilate did not need. He was sent to Judea by Tiberius Caesar to keep the peace and to collect taxes. That was his job. And there had already been two near riots and complaints to Caesar. Caesar was not happy with him. He did not need a third incident. So for fear of the crowd, in frustration, he capitulated, turned Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. The flogging was done with a cat of nine tails, nine long strips of leather with bits of bone and metal woven into it, so that when the guard would sling the lash, the straps would wrap around the prisoner, and then when he pulled back, it would rip and tear the flesh. It is no surprise that many prisoners did not live through the flogging. Jesus did. The governor's soldiers took him then into the praetorium, found another courtyard there where they stripped his outer garments, what was left of them, off of him. And they threw a red robe across his shoulders. They fashioned a thorn of crowns and shoved it down hard, deep into his head, and they put a stick in his hand. And then they bowed before him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They took the staff from his hand and hit him in the head again and again. They hit him with their fist again and again and again, and they spat on him. And when their fun was done, they let him out to be crucified. In the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, the prophet foretells the atonement of Jesus Christ in Isaiah 53, talking about this promised Messiah that they were waiting for to come and how he was gonna carry our sorrows and be wounded for our transgressions. So I wanna read to you Isaiah 53 verses one through five and I invite you to listen as we read this text. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Surely he was born our griefs and he carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed.
As was customary, condemned prisoners were forced to carry their own cross. As they marched Jesus through the streets in his weakened state, he fell repeatedly. Finally, they forced a man from the crowd, Simon of Cyrene, to force him to help Jesus carry his cross. And when they reached the place of execution, a nearby hill called Golgotha, which meant the place of the skull, there, Jesus was stretched out and huge spikes were driven in his hands and his feet and he was nailed to his cross. This cross was lifted up and dropped between two other crosses where two thieves had been crucified with him. They put a sign above his head. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. The soldiers then gathered around at the foot of his cross and cast lots for his garments. Crucifixion was the most humiliating, painful, cruelest form of execution. The Romans would never allow a Roman citizen to be crucified. It was reserved only for foreigners and slaves. And as if the humiliation of the cross wasn't enough, passerbyers and onlookers begin to mock him. You who said you would destroy the temple and build it up in three days, come down from the cross, save yourself. The chief priests, scribes, and elders joined in. You say you're the son of God. Save yourself then. Come down from the cross. If God is your father, he should save you. Come down. And then, then we'll believe you. It was somewhere during the third hour that Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
signifying that he had become sin, taking the sin of the world upon himself. Now he felt the separation from the Father. He experienced spiritual death, and now his physical death would be imminent. In Psalm 22, David is on the run, literally fleeing for his life from King Saul, who is pursuing him to kill him. And as David is on the run and in hiding, he writes down these words as a prayer, crying out to God, unbeknownst to him, that hundreds of years later, they would echo the same sentiments that Jesus was going through. So I invite you to stand as we, we read and respond. As I read the certain passages of Psalm 22, and then you'll see on the screen where to respond to that together. And this is David saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted, and you, and they were not put to shame. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me and they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet, and I can count all my bones, and they, they stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I ask that you remain standing as we sing this next song together.
Some say it was early afternoon that the scriptures tell us Jesus, knowing that everything had now been accomplished and so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, he cried from the cross, I thirst. A sponge soaked in wine and vinegar was raised to his lips, after which he cried in a loud voice. It is finished. Into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and he breathed his last. A violent earthquake shook the ground. The giant veil in the temple was torn in two and darkness covered the whole land. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace in confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. I don't want to continue on through our gathering under the assumption that everyone here professes to that truth. What Rick shared and what happened that moment when the veil was torn in two was not just a powerful imagery in the moment for the Jewish believers and followers back then, but it is a beautiful and powerful picture for us that despite our sin, and despite our shortcomings, 
life. And despite the hardships that we have faced in our life, that we are not alone. And they do not define us because we cannot outsin the cross. In a moment, we are gonna partake in the sacred practice and ritual and rhythm of communion, but this is something that is exclusive for those that have professed that Jesus is Lord and Savior. So that's why I, I just wanna pause. This wasn't planned, but if you are here this night because you are on your spiritual journey, maybe you were invited here by a guest or you, you just came by yourself because you just felt compelled, something in your soul drew you to this place this evening. There is a God who loves you. And that is the evidence what we heard tonight about the cross. And that is a gift that is freely given and it is a gift that our works cannot replicate in this lifetime or any lifetime. We need Jesus. And so that's why when Paul said to Timothy back at the beginning of the service when I said that this is trustworthy, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save us. And maybe tonight you're here and you are done trying. And you need a savior. Because all the other saviors the world has offered you up to this point have let you down. So I invite you to join me in prayer. And then we're going to go into a time of communion. Oh, Jesus, tonight, I might not understand it all, but I understand enough. I get that you love me and you see me as I am. And you are offering hope. You are offering me purpose and identity and restoration from the hurts that have been caused by this world, either by others or even myself that I have done. And so tonight I ask for your forgiveness. I recognize the power of the cross. And I want, I want to approach the throne of grace in confidence as it is written in your word. I'm tired of hiding behind the veil. And so tonight I trust in you and I profess that you, Jesus, are my Lord and God. And I place my trust in you. Amen. If you did that tonight, here in this room or for those that are watching online, I want you to tell someone. Because that isn't just a box we check. This, this is the good news. This is, this is why we get to celebrate Resurrection Sunday with that hope because of the miracle promise, death has no sting over your life anymore. And for those of us that have been following Christ for maybe our entire life, 
We need to be reminded of that at times. And so my hope and my prayer is that as we come up and we receive the elements this evening, that we would be reminded, not just intellectually, but we would be reminded of the relationship and the emotion behind that and the the, the implications of how we live our lives day in and day out as we remember the death of Jesus, but we look forward to the resurrection in just a couple of days. Mark 14, 22 through 25 says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take it, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, truly, I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As we continue to think and meditate on the events of the cross and on Jesus' sacrifice, let us draw near to the throne of grace and confidence as we take the elements of communion. The worship team is gonna lead us in some songs and, and as they're doing that, part of taking communion is preparing our hearts. There's a time for um, repentance, a time of there are things going on in our lives that we need to, to give over to God and ask for that. He gives that freely. And then when you feel ready, we have tables up here on either side of the stage, uh, a little bit different than what we're used to here at Rolling Hills. Uh, the, the cracker uh, are in their own plates, and so you may take a cracker from a plate and then take the juice from the cup in the tray. Uh, but when you're ready, you may come forward and take communion. Um, but I invite you to, to take that moment and pause in prayer and reflect before you do. Oh, 
chorus was just a beautiful way to wrap up that we can take Jesus at his word. We go from this place this evening knowing that Sunday is coming. But tonight we remember. And we take that with us through this weekend. But before we leave and conclude our Good Friday gathering, I want us to stand as we share in one final benediction prayer together that we'll say in unison aloud. And so will you stand? And will you say this aloud with me? Almighty God, your son, Jesus Christ, was lifted high upon the cross so that he might draw the whole world to himself. Grant that we who glory in this death for our salvation, may also glory in his call to take up our cross and follow him. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. I ask that as you dismiss yourself, that we go in silence from the worship center until we're out in the atrium. Then you can, can talk and visit with each other, but if, Tonight, there are still things going on and you just wanna sit in this space, physically, but also spiritually. Uh, the music is gonna continue to play and you are invited to stay uh, and take advantage of this space. Uh, but for the rest of you, thank you for being here with us this evening.
We look forward to celebrating the resurrection on Sunday at 9 and 11 o'clock. You may go in peace.